Hello, and welcome to another episode of the KI Prime podcast. My name is Alina Jenkins, and this time I'm talking to Dr. Ming Jung Ho. A native of Taiwan, she is currently Associate Director at the Centre for Innovation and Leadership in Education at Georgetown University and Director of Education Research at MedStar Health. Dr. Ho has spent the last 12 years studying medical professionalism across cultures. Her research has led to a growing awareness that medical education cannot simply be transplanted across countries. When I spoke to her in the summer of 2020, she explained how her own experience of learning and working in different countries inspired her research. So I had a background in different countries. Grew up in Taiwan. I went to the U.S., did my undergraduate and medical degree there. Also went to the U.K. and did a PhD degree uh, in anthropology there. After all my studies, I went back to Taiwan and became a medical school faculty member in Taiwan. And I noticed that in Taiwan, you know, like all the medical education practices are imported from the U.S. So, you know, in terms of the clinical skills, uh, in terms of the biomedical knowledge, you know, there's really like not much problem transporting those. But in terms of how to interact with patients, you know, like in terms of meeting the societal expectations of the medical profession, you know, in other words, uh, so-called medical professionalism, I noticed that there's a struggle for students. Uh, they are told the Western like biomedical standards, uh, including patient autonomy in the classrooms. But when they go to the clinic, they observe clinicians doing different things. You know, they would, you know, talk with patients' family before they talk with patients, especially when the patients suffer from terminal diseases. And, you know, like to the students, like it's not really what they were taught in the classroom. So, you know, I started like to research the topic of medical professionalism and talk with uh, different stakeholders, finding out what they expect of the medical profession. And then, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, do some curriculum reform to integrate professionalism education uh, into medical education uh, in Taiwan, like in different schools. And that kind of started me. Yeah, in this journey of studying professionalism across countries, because you now like I had opportunities to present and to disseminate my work, and then like I got invited by other countries like China, Turkey, and like I've been to the Middle East, Kuwait, and you know, like just like different places. You now people like all oh, tell me, hey, you know, like we have the same similar struggle. Professionalism described in the kind of Anglo-Saxon context is very different from what I experienced. So I started to work with researchers in different countries, and I think it's very interesting. You have an exemplary medical career, but your background is in anthropology, and it's a fascinating link between culture and medicine. Yeah, my training in anthropology really gave me like the, the cross-cultural perspective yeah and also the the experience of living in different countries and um, you know interacting with medical educators in different countries uh, you know like helped me to 
articulate <laughs> the issue of cultural context um, and how you know like medical educators uh, have to be aware of the cultural context and kind of resist you know the uh, the temptation of assuming that uh, medicine is universal, you know, medical education is universal. You now we all kind of aspire to uh, reach some kind of gold standard <laughs> in that kind of pursuit of global excellence. You now we might sacrifice and you know ignore like the cultural context and variations. You mentioned resistance there, Ming. Can you expand on that? What resistance have you found since going down this path of professionalism across different cultures? Well, I think that uh, in medicine, there is uh, this kind of assumption, belief that medical knowledge is universal. It's a science. So I think most of the medical educators, especially with backgrounds in biomedicine, are used to thinking in this scientific paradigm, assuming medicine is universal. So in terms of educating medical students and medical trainees, that kind of scientific paradigm <laughs> permeates. And I think when you, you know, try to like challenge people to think about the cultural aspects of medicine, uh, some people, you know, like have a hard time because to them, uh, medicine is science. It's not cultural. <laughs> it's not cultural. I guess where your research started in Taiwan and then expanding to China, it's more cultural than it is in the West. And a lot of medicine in the East stems from tradition and belief and not always from science. So is it hard to bring these together in a modern world? Yes. Actually, you know, practitioners all have this experience of patients like with different belief systems and actually you know for a lot of patients you know it doesn't matter like what the medical practice is based on it's almost like like white cats you know like black cats you know, as long as they can catch like the, the mice you know, they are good cats so like no matter if it's western biomedicine or traditional chinese medicine or even like homeopathy or alternative medicine, I think, you know, most of the patients like, embrace all traditions, you know, as long as those practices help them to recover. And uh, we really need to help our um, medical students and medical practitioners, you know, understand the patient's needs and perspectives and work with the patients and, uh, and to help them to recover. We heard from Tarusha Naidu earlier in the series, and she's talking about similar ideas, looking at differences in medical education research between Global North and Global South. And you're doing that, but between the East and the West. Yeah, I wouldn't use this, the word like imperialism, but, you know, I think there is a tendency in medical education, like people globally look up to what Americans and the British uh, medical educators do and hold those as gold standards. I wouldn't say that they try to impose these to other places, but other countries um, like look up to them too and asking them for best practices. But in this kind of exchange, you know, maybe similar to the global north and global south uh, discourses, 
you know, I think that it's the assumption of universalism or like what the Anglo-Saxon medical educators do is the best. It's this uh, assumption that we need to be careful when we design medical education practices. In the very first episode of these podcasts, I spoke with Sari Ponza, and she was telling me how important it is to get published. Looking at it from a cultural perspective, are there any challenges or limitations in getting research published? I actually have heard from a lot of medical educators outside of the English-speaking world saying that it's uh, challenging for them to get published. Sometimes they attribute, you know, the challenge to the reviewers and the journals, you know, not interested in their studies because uh, it's done outside of the the power countries. <laughs> what I have uh, learned is that, you know, actually there are medical like, educators and the journal editors are very interested to hear what medical education researchers are doing in different parts of the world. I think the key is to frame your work in a way that's helpful to medical educators outside of your local settings. So to make it generalizable, like to offer lessons to people, not uh, just in your local communities. And and I think for medical education researchers from non-English speaking countries, the English language might be a barrier. Like it's probably harder for them to communicate and to you know really tell their story in an interesting way in the English language. But I think that might be overcome by collaborating with researchers who are more fluent in English. And I have done that myself personally. Thinking about what the world is going through at the moment, what impacts has the COVID-19 pandemic had on your work and research? Actually, you know, because of COVID, the American medical schools, you know, changed online and kind of delayed the start of the clinical training. So some of the medical students have free time and they contacted me and said that, hey, you know, like, do you have any medical education research projects I can, you know, help with? Yeah, so I've been working with some medical students on medical education research projects and there's a Interesting one now I'm doing, like interviewing medical students at Georgetown on the impact of COVID on their medical education, on their professional identity formation. Yeah, so that's, that's fun. And also, you know, everything's online. I returned to Taiwan and I'm doing some uh, research on how Taiwanese medical educators are responding to COVID because Taiwan is one of the few countries that did not stop medical education because uh, luckily Taiwan, um, uh, like COVID is quite well controlled. So medical schools did not close like the rest of the world. They continued medical education, but they have to implement uh, measures to social distance the students and the faculty members and they have to um, kind of adjust to the government policies. Yeah, so I've like done a survey of the medical school deans in Taiwan on their response to COVID and what kind of lessons they want to share with the world. So that was done quickly, you know, in March and April and we submitted our paper 
interestingly, actually, I've heard from the medical education journal editors that they have a lot more submissions now. Maybe people have more time; they don't have to drive to work now, and and they are all like intrigued by phenomena of like how medical educators are responding to COVID and what they can do and what students are doing. Yeah, so there's actually, I think, for medical teacher, they have maybe thirty percent more submission since COVID started. So I think it's getting harder to get published nowadays because there's a lot more. But it's, uh, I think, an interesting time um, and interesting challenge. It's interesting what you said, given how people are being more productive because they're not having to travel or commute. Do you think this could have a positive effect on how medical research is done in the future? Yes, I think so. And I think... Unfortunately, uh, looks like COVID is here to stay for a while. And I think, you know, from what I heard from my survey uh, and from my interviews on the impact of COVID on students and on uh, medical education leaders, I think that the online education is likely to stay. And there are challenges, but also advantages for for using that. And it will change yeah, like our practices and our research of medical education, for sure. So what are your plans in the months ahead and what are you hoping to achieve with your research? So I'm actually doing some research on the professional identity formation of international medical graduates and ethnically minority uh, residents in the US. So I I think that would be interesting to explore and to understand like how they re- reconcile their cultural background, their cultural identities with their medical professional identities and how we can help to provide better education for the residents with uh, different cultural backgrounds. Dr. Ming Jung-ho. That's all for this episode. Next time, we'll hear from Therese Stenfors and her research exploring the contribution of interpersonal relationships between patients and healthcare professionals to advance patient care. Until then, goodbye.